Good evening. Um, my name's Rory. Um, I'm part of the staff team here. Um, can I just add my welcome to the one that Jamie's given as well? Welcome if you're new. Welcome if you're here for the 1,000th time. It's great to, to have you all here uh, tonight. Um, if you don't know me, I'm the worship pastor here at HTC, and I look after all things worship, production, live streaming. Um, and yeah, that's a bit about me. Um, and hasn't it been so good after such a long time to sing together again? Are we all enjoying that? Yeah? Brilliant. Yeah, me too. I mean, we know you've all been singing the whole time anyway, but um, <laughs> isn't it nice that we're able to do it officially um, and not be worried about that? And um, I've, been, I've just found it such a joy to hear everyone lifting up God's praises again after such a long time. Um, it's been so encouraging to hear the excitement, even the relief as we've been worshipping. Um, and it's really felt like there's been this hunger and desire um, across the whole church family um, to, to really like, pour out our hearts to God in worship. Um, and I've, just been, I've been so encouraged by that, so, so thank you for being a part of that um, in the past few weeks. But we, we know that that hunger and desire isn't always there. Externally, it can look like that it is, but sometimes internally, in our hearts, it's actually not. Um, and I know I've experienced that over the past 18 months, um, thinking back uh, to the start of the first lockdown when all our services were online and it was all pre-recorded from home. Um, I'd spend hours kind of creating these worship song videos for everyone to worship along with in their homes. And I can tell you, even though it might have looked quite flashy on the outside, it was an absolute like, nightmare on the inside, all the recording process. Um, yeah, I don't think I've ever been quite so frustrated with myself when I'm on take number 20, um, trying to sing the right words or play the right notes. It was an absolute faff. But um, yeah, it, I was really glad to see the back of them rather than being glad to worship. So on the, ex on the external, it may have looked great, but on the inside, it felt pretty rubbish, to be honest. I wonder if you've ever felt like that, where externally it would seem as if everything is normal and yet and good, and yet internally it's been a very different story. Maybe even our hearts have been hard to God. I know sometimes mine was uh, during all those recordings. But what we're going to see in our passage today is that God doesn't like to leave us in that place. He doesn't want to leave us in that place. God has more for each one of us here tonight than that. He has promised to astound us with wonder upon wonder. He has promised reasons for us to be amazed at him. He has promised things that will make us stand in awe of him and rejoice. So I'm going to read our passage tonight. Um, you'll find it in the book of Isaiah, um, chapter 29, and verses 13 to 24. It should come up on the screen. Here we go. The Lord says... These people come, to, come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. Therefore, once more, I will astound these people with wonder upon wonder. The wisdom of the wise will perish. The intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. Woe to those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord, who do their work in darkness and think, who sees us, who will know? You turn things upside down, as if the potter were thought to be like the clay. Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, you didn't make me? Can the pot say to the potter, you know nothing? In a very short time, will not Lebanon be turned into a fertile field, and the fertile field seem like a forest? In that day, the deaf will hear the words of the scroll, and out of gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. Once more, the humble will rejoice in the Lord. The needy will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. 
the ruthless will vanish, the mockers will disappear, and all who have an eye for evil will be cut down. Those who with a word make someone out to be guilty, who ensnare the defender in court, and with false testimony deprive the innocent of justice. Therefore, this is what the Lord, who redeemed Abraham, says to the descendants of Jacob. No longer will Jacob be ashamed. No longer will their faces grow pale. When they see among them their children, the work of my hands, they will keep my name holy. They will acknowledge the holiness of the Holy One of Jacob and will stand in awe of the God of Israel. Those who are wayward in spirit will gain understanding. Those who complain will accept instruction. Why don't we pray as we look at God's word together now. God, we thank you for your holy word. I pray right now as we hear from it, God, I pray that you'd be speaking to us. Would you soften our hearts now? Would you give us humble hearts uh, to receive what it is that you are saying to us tonight? And we thank you that you speak so uh, individually and personally to each one of us. And God, I pray that anything that is just of me would fall away. But God, I pray that you would... Um, yeah, just, just be speaking so directly to so many of us here tonight. May you astound us once again with your wonders upon wonders. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So tonight we're thinking about worship. We're thinking about wonder. What is the link between the two? What does God want in our worship? And what we're going to find in this passage is two things. Two things that God was saying to his people back then and two things that God is saying to us today. There's both a warning and a promise. So let's start with the warning. You may have felt the severity of the first verse as I read it before. It's a big warning. The alarm bells are flashing, the sirens are roaring. God lays all his concerns out on the table, plain for us all to see. In verse 13, the Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. <laughs> As God speaks directly to the people of Jerusalem, many of their hearts are far from him. Externally, they continue to follow all their religious traditions, yet internally, their hearts are far from God. They are too caught up in their own concerns, in their own understandings, in their own opinions. Jerusalem's pride had led to its spiritual blindness. It sounds a bit familiar to 21st century London, doesn't it? And so as we read this verse, the first thing that we can note here is that God is concerned with our worship. Not the rules of how we choose to order our worship, but the state of our hearts in worship. He longs for our hearts to be close to him. He longs us to honor him and to glorify him, to have a hunger and desire to know him more and more as we worship him. He doesn't want lip service. He doesn't want a new set of rules or format that we might create and formalize as our worship. No, God wants our whole hearts because worship is an activity of our hearts. Now, this wasn't just a problem for the people in Jerusalem back then. It was also a problem in Jesus' time as well. And um, Jesus actually ends up quoting this verse that's on the screen now um, to some Pharisees. Um, at one point, and you can find that in Matthew chapter 15. And the Pharisees are accosting him of uh, breaking some of their rules for life. Um, and Jesus uh, says these words, and it's because the Pharisees claim to be people of God, 
and they, um, that this is such an issue, that externally it seemed like they were honoring God with their actions, but really internally, their hearts were focused in other places. And this can still be a problem for us today as well. We can compartmentalize the God that we are worshiping and how we are worshiping him. We depend on our own wisdom, our own understanding, and we make our own rules for worship. And we can become defensive of our rules and traditions because they are our rules and our traditions. It's our opinion and our understanding of how we should worship that ends up mattering to us most rather than the one that we have come to worship. And we see that um, kind of bleeds into the church from society. Our society today celebrates uh, opinions and knowledge and intelligence. From a young age, we're driven to learn and consume information, to get qualifications, to climb the career ladder. The world tells us that we must have our own truths and our own opinions, and that they're always right and true and valid and unquestionable. And so as we consume and consume more and more and form opinion after opinion, we can fall into this trap of thinking that we know enough without God. And this can lead our hearts astray as well. Either intentionally or unintentionally, we can turn our backs to God and rely on our own wisdom and understanding, even when it comes to the things of God, like our worship. And that's a really dangerous place for us to be. We can ride on our worldly wisdom and think that our hearts are in the right place for quite a long time. But God knows that. God knows that we fall into this trap. And we see that in some of the verses in this passage. Look at verse 15. God says, Woe to those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord, who do their work in darkness and think, Who sees us? Who will know? You turn things upside down as if the potter were thought to be like the clay. Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, You did not make me. Can the pot say to the potter, you know nothing? I don't know if you've ever taken an art class um, or a pottery class um, and, and tried to make a pot. Um, I remember we did it once in school, um, uh, just a one-off lesson. They brought all the pottery wheels in and, and let us have a go. And we started by watching the teacher give a demonstration. And they very simply and very elegantly created this masterpiece, this kind of little jar that looked like kind of exactly what you might buy in the shop. And I thought, easy. I thought, I don't need to watch or listen. I can, I can get on with this. I can create a masterpiece. Um, but being the person that I am who has absolutely no natural instinct when it comes to arts or visual arts, um, I, uh, I, I started, I, I gave it a go. I kind of got it looking about the right height. And I was just starting to like form it and create the little dip in the middle so it came into a jar. And then splat, all over the floor. My masterpiece, gone. And that's what it's like when we trust in our own wisdom, when we don't listen to our teacher, when we don't listen to God. We rid ourselves of our need for him. We mold him to be how we want him to be, often more of a last resource than the source of our daily bread. We choose to be independent from him. We tell him, you know nothing, just like it says in the passage. And as we do that, that first verse of the passage becomes about us. We become the ones whose mouths and lips say one thing, but our hearts can be far from God. We lose the wonder of who it is that we have come to worship. Um, some of you will know of the English author and theologian G.K. Chesterton. and He once wrote that we are perishing for lack of wonder, not for lack of wonders. We lose our wonder in God 
and we replace it with worldly wisdom. But that doesn't mean that the wonders aren't there. God has not held back on the wonders that he gives to us. In fact, God has a better plan for us. He doesn't want us to have hard hearts far from him. He has life and life in all its fullness planned for us. And this is what he promises to us and gives to us. So let's look at that promise now. It comes in verse 14 in our passage. And God says, Therefore, once more, I will astound these people with wonder upon wonder. The wisdom of the wise will perish. The intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. As a response to our hard hearts, God has promised to reveal wonder upon wonder to us. Wonders that will astound us, that will leave us deeply moved and convinced of his glory and his majesty. Wonders that make our worldly wisdom perish, that make our independent intelligence vanish. And he says once more, because we can see in the Bible that he has done it before this point in Isaiah. He's already the God of wonders. Think back to Noah and the flood. Can you imagine what it must have been like to be on that boat with all those animals and to see all that vast amount of water? What about Moses and the exodus through the Red Sea that Josh talked about last week? Can you imagine walking through those parted waters? Or what about Joshua at Jericho when the walls of the city came crashing down? What about David as Goliath lay slain on the floor? Or King Jehoshaphat when the worshippers went out ahead of his army and defeated the enemies before a single blow of a single sword? God has astounded his people with wonder upon wonder before. And he will do it again. He is going to do it again. He has promised to do it again. And so God promises in this passage, in this that we're looking at today, a few things to the people of Jerusalem. In verse 17, he says, In a very short time will not Lebanon be turned into a fertile field, and the fertile field seem like a forest. Now, Lebanon, at this point in history, had just been invaded by the Assyrians, and then it had been totally scorched to the ground. It was a totally dead land. And yet God promises to bring dead things to life. And then he carries on. He says, In that day the deaf will hear the words of the scroll, and out of gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind will see. God promises physical and spiritual healing as he showers wonder upon wonder on us. Physical healings where people, with the deaf um, hear and the blind see, and spiritual healings as blinded and hardened hearts hear and understand and see the truth and life only found in God. An 18th century pastor called Edward Young, um, love it niche, uh, once said that wonder is involuntary praise. Wonder leads to worship. Seeing God's wonders leads only to worship him. He gives us reason upon reason to wonder at and to worship him because of the awesome and holy God that he is. He's so worthy of our praise. So we've had a warning and we've had a promise from God. A warning about the state of our hearts and a promise to astound us with wonders upon wonders. So how would we respond? How should we respond? We've already noticed the phrase once more in our passage. We saw that in verse 14 where God promises to astound his people with wonder upon wonder. And then that phrase once more comes back again a few verses later. And it's talking about the response of God's people. And God says this. He says, once more, the humble will rejoice in the Lord. The needy will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. 
when we are struck by God's wonder, we can't help but rejoice. Our hearts are stirred with awe and thankfulness and joy. But notice who it is that's responding. It's not everyone. It's not everyone that is joyful. It's just the humble and the needy. It's not the prideful. It's not the independent ones. It's not those who are relying on their own wisdom. In fact, we can see what happens to them in the next verse. God says, the ruthless will vanish, the mockers will disappear, and all who have an eye for evil will be cut down. It's only the humble ones who will respond before God with rejoicing and worship. And this is why we've been talking a bit about wisdom as well. For our hearts to be set on God in worship, we need to recognize the source of our wisdom. We need to make sure that God alone is the source of our wisdom. When we do recognize God as the source of our wisdom, we humble ourselves before him. We say, God teaches, God leads, and we become dependent on him. There's a verse in Proverbs chapter 9 that you might be familiar with that says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Now, the fear of the Lord isn't an afraid fear. It's not, um, it's not like being scared of a spider or something like that. It's this reverent and holy fear. It's a wondering and rejoicing fear. It's not an awful fear. It's an awe-filled fear from the one that we come before. And this is why the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, because we are living in awe of the Lord. We take our wisdom from him. Knowing him brings understanding and leads us to worship him. So now we're seeing this inextricable link between the source of our wisdom and the way that we worship and who we worship. There's that, there's that saying that you probably know, we become what we worship. If we're getting wisdom from the world, we will be led in worship by and from and to the world. If we're being influenced by what the world thinks about our identity, our image, our status, our career, those things, we can become fixed on them and we can become obsessed with them and we can end up worshiping those things. But if our wisdom is coming from our awe-filled fear of the Lord, then our worship will be led by and to the Lord. And that's what God asks us to do. You'll see um, at the end of verse 23, God says, um, my people will keep my name holy. He will, uh, they will acknowledge the holiness of the Holy One of Jacob and will stand in awe of the God of Israel. In our worship, we're to keep the name of the Lord holy. We keep the name of the Lord holy by, by keeping our worship pure and wholehearted. We don't let uh, worldly wisdom influence us. We say, God, we need you. God, you are the holy one. You are the God of wonders. And we say that not just with our lips, but with our hearts too. For the humble will rejoice in the Lord, and the needy will rejoice in the holy one of Israel. Now, you might be thinking, that's all well and good. But what, what happens if I'm not feeling like rejoicing right now? What happens if my heart is far from God? What happens if life is difficult, if life is rough? What happens if I haven't seen wonder upon wonder from God recently? Um, for my wife, Hannah, and I, um, we've had a really, really rough few months. Um, it's been really tough, like tough beyond belief, um, relentless even. Um, we've had huge and devastating things happen um, time after time. We've barely finished processing one and the next thing has already rattled us. 
rather than wonder upon wonder. It's been setback after setback. And it started back in March, um, where really sadly um, Hannah's dad passed away. And then just a week after his funeral, um, a friend died really suddenly. And then um, at the end of May, we went up to see my family uh, for the first time in over a year. And while we were there, they all caught COVID. And then I caught COVID. And then we were isolated um, with them for, for several weeks. And then just six weeks ago, um, we had a miscarriage as well. It's been exhausting. It's been relentless. And it's felt anything but wonder upon wonder. But for Hannah and I, even in the midst of all that pain, we're still believing, we're still trusting that God is a God of wonders. We've seen so much answered prayer in the midst of all of that. We've, seen, we've known God so close. We've known him comforting us where we didn't think we could be comforted. And we've been surrounded by um, friends and family um, of our church family who have just been able to speak into our lives with such grace and wisdom. And I don't know what your experience of life is at the moment. I don't know how you found the pandemic. But um, I'm sure we've all had moments where we've thought, God, where are you? God, where are you in the midst of all of this that's going on right now? What, where are these wonders that you claim to astound us with? And yet God has still promised to astound us with wonder upon wonder. And we need to believe that to be true. We believe that our God is a God who is faithful to his promise, who stands firm on his word. And that's because we have evidence of his wonders. We see evidence of his wonders every day. And we primarily, primarily see the wonder of God in the person of Jesus. We, uh, Jesus is that promised wonder. We believe that, we know that, we see that in the Bible. We see that in our everyday. Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, Jesus, who is the firstborn above all creation. Jesus, who this world wasn't worthy of, but who God sent regardless. Jesus, who is both fully God and fully man. Jesus, who is the only perfect and holy person to have ever existed. Jesus, the one who on the cross bore all the weights of our pain and shame and guilt and sadness and confusion and sin. Jesus, who couldn't be found in the tomb on that Easter morning because he had defeated death and is risen and alive now. Jesus, who is the King of all kings and Lord of all lords and who reigns over all. Jesus, who is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Jesus, who is the way, the truth and the life. Jesus, who stands with us and weeps with us and cares for us. Jesus, who is with us now by his Holy Spirit. Jesus, who will never leave us. Jesus, who is our wonderful counselor and our Prince of Peace. Jesus, who is our faithful friend forevermore. Jesus is the wonder upon wonder that God has promised to us. Jesus is the wonder of God, regardless of our present circumstances. Jesus is wonderful, whatever life is like right now. And Jesus is the one that we come to worship. Jesus is the one that we bring our hearts before and we rejoice in, regardless of what life looks like right now. Amen? Amen. Would you stand?